Anyway, good afternoon to one and all. Uh, we are in the book of Jonah. Uh, so, if you have come here for the first time, uh, Jonah is a book of the Bible, it's one of the prophets. Uh, for those who have heard uh, the previous chapter, that's chapter 1. Today I'm going to be catching up from where I left off last. That is the last verse of chapter 1 and then the whole of chapter 2. Okay, so if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn with me while I uh, get there. We, I'll just pray. Father, we thank you for helping us to know you, Lord God, that you are the Holy One. Lord, you are the one who is seated on the throne. And this morning, I pray indeed, you be enthroned and you be exalted, O God. I pray, O Lord God, that you will, Lord, be exalted over everything that is shared in this word. And I pray that you will increase and we will decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah 1, verses 17 and the whole of chapter 2. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it, had vo- and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Waters. This morning, uh, I think we've, we've enjoyed some fabulous time of worship, both in the first and the second services. Almost encountering God in His holiness is like ascending up a mountain and up on the mountain top where we meet God. But I'm going to take you now into the depths of the sea where we will see God. We can see God at, at all places. And today's passage is about uh, a, you know, an individual who meets with God right in the depths of the sea. If you observe the Arabian Sea around us, if you know Mumbai city is surrounded by waters on three sides and the Arabian Sea is sparkling and at noonday sun, if you see the waters reflect back at you, and that is exactly how my wife was describing uh, yesterday on a journey as she took, she's a section of a school where they took the children yesterday to Nehru Planetarium and they passed through the whirly sea fish she was staying, the, the water was actually sparkling and it was glittering. And I, it's, it's just an amazing sight and you can amaze and, and just gaze at the beauty of water when you're actually standing over the land and it is uh, amazing. But what happens when you go thousands of feet beneath the seas? What happens there? Uh, recently, uh, not recently, about August 2018, uh, there was a release of a movie called The Meg. Uh, I don't know if you've watched it, but The Meg speaks about a 60-foot shark and how it creates chaos in the lives of people around and how people are actually hunting down this 60-foot monster r- living right in the depths of the sea. And uh, it was quite uh, 
entertaining, the movie, I should say. I love these kinds of movies. Uh, and also it reminds you that life beneath the ocean is not very comfortable. I don't know if any of you have uh, done beyond, uh, you know, just snorkeling or some other kinds of, uh, you know, with the pebbles and the fish. And that is not the kind of picture that this passage is throwing to us. Uh, this passage is similar to what this could appear like, a 60-foot shark, although we are not told what fish is it. Uh, this shark is, is deadly. And we see that it, it consumed a lot of people in terms of food. Uh, and it is difficult to survive. It is only a matter of time before you get consumed by such a monster creature. But today's passage, although, friends, I'll be talking about a fish. It is not really about a fish. Although I'll be mentioning the fish several times because this is the only passage which a couple of verses where Jonah finds himself in a similar situation. Uh, it begins in, and therefore the, the, the last chapter, the Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 begins and the Lord appointed a fish. Don't miss that. The fish was actually sent by God in, in the depths of the ocean just to coincide at the time that Jonah would be thrown off by the sailors down into the waves and that's when the fish actually gets Jonah. So it's very important to understand that this was a fish sent by God. And it's, very, it's an anomaly, actually a very unusual situation. Uh, why would God actually send a fish in order to save an individual? Or uh, for that matter, in order to uh, sustain the individual? Is there no other better way? But God works in the ways God understands. And man may not always understand it. But here was Jonah in distress. He was utterly lost he was encircled by the Mediterranean waves. And I, and I shared last time that Jonah was called to go east to Nineveh, but he ends up going west to Tarshish. And he runs away from the Lord, and he's now in the Mediterranean Sea. So right now, Jonah is in the Mediterranean waters. He's not enjoying them. He's hating it down there. It's, he's surrounded by Mediterranean waves. There are floods surrounding him. He writes in verse 3, The floods surrounded me, and waves passed over me. The waters closed over me to take my life. It's threatening down there. Verse 5. Verse 6, he says, the weeds tightly wrapped about uh, me. And I don't know whether you've ever imagined this, that cleaning fishes are stinky enough. I don't know whether you've, you've, you've loved the sight or the smell of fishes at any time when you split it open with a knife. and you know. But when you actually realize that some of the fishes would actually stink a lot, uh, in, in, in those terms. And imagine how it would be like to be in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. It could get quite stinky. And it is something that we are not used to. Uh, I don't know how many of you uh, have uh, you know, imagined a situation like that, but this would have smelled really bad. But what is more important is also uh, what these all mean for the ancient Hebrews then and for us today. And I'll, I'll introduce to you pictographs. Now what's a pictograph? A pictograph is a symbolic way of understanding scripture. In the Hebrew Bible, they use a lot of these pictographs. As you all know, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, was written in Hebrew. And a lot of these were symbolic representations of scripture. So when we talk of chapter 2 verse 5 and Jonah describes the waters, how do the Hebrews actually read it? It was symbolically represented that it was a, the sea was a place of the unknown. There was a water symbol there. The sea is a place of the unknown. That means it is feared by ancient Hebrews because of its size, storms and fierceness. A large body of water was usually understood as a place of chaos because of its turbulence, the commotion of the waves. 
And it was in that situation that Jonah found himself in. As he writes in uh, verse 2, he says, Although he was not literally in Sheol, he writes as if that was Sheol for him. Uh, That means the realm of the dead. But Jonah had a near-death experience. Uh, That fish or the waters, so to say, could perhaps have been his grave. His soul was agitated under those circumstances. And he was brought to the verge of despair. And he writes... In my distress, in my affliction, in my trouble, in my pressure, in my tight place, in my sorrow, I called to the Lord. Jonah teaches us that in tight situations, we call unto the Lord. We call unto the Lord. It was a desperate situation for Jonah, perhaps even hopeless, and it dried up his soul's strength. And I don't know if you you going through uh, situations like this. Uh, that is really drying up our strength, the situations in our life. And perhaps Jonah's life would actually teach us something. Jonah was greatly inspired by David's writings, as you know. His devotions were greatly inspired in the Psalms. His prayers and his songs were, were all Psalms that he uttered out, that perhaps even David wrote and he uttered them. So, like for example, out of my distress I called to the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free, was written by uh, Psalm 118 uh, verses 5. And you see the song of sense and, and, and David writing those psalms and Jonah actually is praying scripture in those difficult circumstances. How many of us pray scripture when we are pressed down and when we are trying to, uh, finding it very, very difficult and when we are in a quandary? Jonah prayed and for prayer, there is a symbol used in, in the Hebrew Bible. It was the symbol of a mouth. That means Speaking and pleading to one in authority. So that means when Jonah was praying, he was actually coming to someone in authority and he was pleading his case. Friends, when we come to God, we come to someone in authority and plead our case. Um, We intercede for ourselves sometimes. Jonah was interceding for himself. And sometimes we intercede for ourselves. Sometimes we intercede for the nation, just like we are doing right now. A couple of weeks back on a Friday, we, we gathered together and pray, prayed for India with the pastors across Burivli and other churches also coming in. And one of my favorite prayers that, that night was prayed by Pastor Naomi, who pastors one of the churches here in Burivli. She said, she made, she, as she came, she said, we come to a big God. And she said, heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. I just loved it. I thought that was a standout prayer for me because prayers which bring the bigness of God into the room really exalt and edify. For me, those are my favorite prayers. And, and Jonah in this moment was praying to the Lord, his God. He writes by saying, I'm praying to the Lord, my God. Two words, Lord and God. Lord means Jehovah, the existing one. And God meaning Elohim. That means ruler and judge. So when you put those two together, uh, there is a picture there of an ox head for the Lord. It resembles an ox head, which is symbolic of power and strength. And uh, God is symbolic with its shepherd's staff is used to actually designate that that is the one in authority. So when we come together to pray, we come to the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim. And he is the one who represents strength, power and authority. When we come in prayer to God, we come who is strong in authority. He is the one who holds authority over our lives because he is actually our author. He is the one who created us, isn't it? Knit us together in our mother's wombs. So if we have a fear of the unknown this morning, if 
Uh, we are in a completely unexpected or unusual situation. For Jonah, it is not like he, he encountered those experiences every now and then in his life. No, for the first time, he actually encountered a situation like that. And perhaps that wasn't even there in Israel's history till then. That someone was in the belly of the fish. And perhaps for many of us this morning, there are situations which are a first time, never heard of, never um, never seen or you know you never heard but if we are agitated if we are in despair if our situations are at an impasse you know it's an impasse the situation just doesn't progress and I don't know what it's like uh, sometimes we find life on earth difficult imagine how it was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish you continuously wait you're without food and without water it's, it's a scary situation it's a fatal situation I mean how many stories have you heard of people actually coming out alive from the belly of the fish after three days and three nights? That is an impossible kind of story. But here is a man who is actually praying and perhaps he is waiting for the Lord to actually meet with him. Day one, evening gone. Day two, morning, evening. Day three, morning, evening. And it's, sometimes that can seem ages. And For some of us, maybe our situations have been lingering on for ages and uh, it's, it's a never-ending story. And maybe uh, in that situation, we would be encouraged by what Jonah does. He prays in that situation. Friends, it is when we are at the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all the resources that we depend on have actually been exhausted, it is then that we pray. I'm not saying we, we should pray only then, but it is at those moments that we realize we are absolutely helpless and only God can help us. There are two ways of looking at Jonah's situation. So on one hand, you can see that Jonah was thrown out into the waters and he was in the sea. And that can be fatal enough with the weeds wrapping around your neck, choking you. The waves can be absolutely hostile to to cope with. But if you see his situation in one sense went from bad to worse, when instead of being out on the land, he's actually gone into the fish. He's actually gone into the belly of the fish. Or you could see it the other way saying, okay, Jonah was thrown into the waters. He actually went into the waters, but there, in those waters, survival was so difficult that God provided him a partial deliverance in the form of a fish, which actually sustained him for three days and three nights. And there, Jonah teaches us to pray. And friends, some of us may, may be like that. I mean, our stories have not seen complete deliverance yet. It's only been partial so far and we're waiting for complete and full deliverance to come. And we are in that waiting. And Jonah teaches us to pray. Lamentations 3.55 says, I call on your name from the depths of the pit where I am. Psalm 69 would say, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. And I think Jonah would know these scriptures well. And so if we are in these situations today, if we are, we are despondent on despair and hopelessness, it is opportunity for us to pray. It is an opportunity for us to pray. In fact, faithful churchgoers, the definition of faithful churchgoers has changed dramatically over the last year or so. And um, at, at, once, at one time, we usually called a faithful churchgoer as thrice a week. Today, we call a faithful churchgoer as thrice a month. Imagine how much has changed and And one of the default positions of a Christian is when they face difficulties, when we face difficulties, we either stop meeting people or coming to church altogether or we give up praying individually as well. And this is what Jonah tells us exactly what not to do. Not once but twice in his prayer, he looked up to the temple. That's my first point for today. Looking to the temple. 
looking into the temple. In verse 4 he says, I am driven away from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. And there was straight out of Psalms 31 verse 22. Imagine how deep Jonah was in the Psalms. He knew the Psalms really well. Because even his prayer was full of Psalms. In verse 7 he writes, When my life was fainting, my prayer came into your holy temple. Jonah looks not once but twice to the holy temple of God. The sanctuary of, of God. The palace of God. And he's inspired by David again. Because you would know, David in Psalm 27 verse 4 says, My desire is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It is very, very relevant, the temple for Christians today. And it's not just relevant to our non-believing friends who go to a physical place of the temple. And mind you, the temple is a very, very important structure. Physically and today for us spiritually. Why? Because the temple is a place where God dwells. It is the residence of the Holy God. In the Old Testament, we saw people gathering in the temple and the fire from heaven came down and God's glory filled the temple so much so that people couldn't enter the temple. And we sang songs today about the holiness of God and I think it would be so much more overwhelming to be there because you can't just enter the temple like that. All the Psalms, or perhaps a lot of them, a myriad of them, uh, Psalm 11, 18, 29, 48, 65, 68, 79, 138, all of these Psalms talk about the temple of God. And so much so, even the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Serena was sharing about Isaiah this morning, and I think that's one of the temple visions that Isaiah had, but there were other prophets as well who dwelt significantly on the concept of the temple. Habakkuk 2.20 and Psalm 11 verse 4, they converge when they say this, that the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Friends, God even hears the voice of his people crying out from his temple. And Jonah knew that. Jonah knew that God speaks from his temple. In fact, Jonah would be thinking straight up to uh, the Ark of the Covenant in in. Uh, in, in the Sinai wilderness where God actually dwelt at the cherubim, between the cherubim. And it was at that mercy seat that God promised to speak, but only when conditions were met. You shed blood, sins are forgiven, only then God would speak. And this is exactly true, isn't it? Unless and until a price is paid for in the terms of forgiveness of sins, man can never relate to God or God can never relate to man. A few friends in my office and one of them who says that I call on God only when I need Him. If I don't need Him, I don't need Him. I'm surrounded by people in, in my workplace where God is a distant memory because everything is good in a way man is so self-sufficient that they don't feel the need for God altogether. In fact, uh, a couple of friends that I asked this week and I asked them this question. I, I keep asking these, these questions and one of the questions I asked them this week is do you think that there's enough goodness in man that would qualify him to meet with God. And I got some very interesting answers. One of them said that, uh, yes, because a child, when he is born, he does not have much knowledge or wisdom. But as man grows up, he attains maturity, probably understands the good around him. And yes, in that state, God can meet with him. Uh, A couple of other answers says, a couple of other answers, they said that, If you do good works, God will be pleased and he will definitely meet with you. 
It's all about good works. And that's one of, these are some of the messages that float around us in culture. And I think the Bible is very, very contrary to the culture uh, that, that is around us, the people that we live with, because the Bible says very clearly, man cannot meet with God unless and until there is a cost paid. Because, the, because of our sinful state and the holiness of God, there's a huge gap, even bigger than the Grand Canyon, that man cannot actually come before God and relate to Him. And therefore the high priest came once a year, uh, he, he brought with him the blood of bulls and goats and, and spread it on the mercy seat. And once divine anger, God's anger was actually pacified, it was only then that uh, he could relate to man, he could speak to him. And that was only a foreshadow of what would happen in the blood of Jesus, the atonement. And we know that the blood of bulls and goats cannot compare to the blood of Jesus Christ, the once for all sacrifice. His blood was also shed in the mercy seat. And today, God can relate to us, not as outsiders, but people who put our faith in Jesus and over the mercy seat, He can actually talk to us. Hebrews tells us that, that it was the one and only sacrifice in Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God. God's plan, marvelous plan, to send to us Jesus who reconciled us to himself. And thanks be to God, and you and me are in a privileged situation today. And I want to encourage us to look to the temple. But what is that temple for us today? I know physically it was the temple then. Today, Christ is the temple of God. Christ is the temple of God. And by his body, he has effected reconciliation between God and man. And where we can be reconciled, not now, but forever. Christ is the ultimate meeting place between God and man. He is now Emmanuel, God with us, who stands in the midst of the throne as a lamb who was slain. Today he is an advocate for us before the Father. He is the righteous one. His sacrifice was a propitiation for our sins. And he is the one who actually accepts and welcomes us. As we put our faith in him, he forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. God's holy temple has a welcome sign today. For those who put their faith in Jesus, the polluted sinner is welcome. There is a free and open, unlimited access for you and me. Because you and me are polluted sinners. Friends, you and me enjoy something which our friends around cannot. They cannot enjoy God the way you and me enjoy. And therefore, let's enjoy that. In fact, one of my friends uh, over lunch this week told me about how he spent an hour with his pets. And he has uh, quite, a few, quite, a, quite a few dogs that he, that he, that he pets. And um, so he has this great... Uh, you know, hobby of, of having dogs, there's lassas and there's great danes and all that. But he said, an hour that he spent with them, he said to me, Lyndon, they love you unconditionally. And I was like, I was listening to him very keenly and I said, you starve them for two days, they'll make your life miserable. But here's the point, no human or pet can ever love us unconditionally. Can ever, no human on earth can ever love us unconditionally. Because that is a quality only God has to love us unconditionally. And therefore, friends, we have Jesus, the great high priest who has passed into the heavens. He is the son of God and we may hold fast our confession. And we may also with confidence draw near the throne of grace to find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, Jonah knew this, that even as he was thrown overboard, it may sound Uh, As if what's happening and he was thrown overboard. But he knew something that it was God who was orchestrating all this. It was God who hurled him into the deep that he writes in verse 3. You cast me into the deep. And he also knew that God was sovereign over his situation. 
God had orchestrated a, a, this circumstance, asking the sailors to throw them overboard, not virtually speaking to them, but the sailors actually ended up throwing Jonah overboard, and he ended up in the belly of the fish. And God even appointed a fish uh, in order to meet with Jonah. The sailors were instruments that God used to fulfill his ultimate purpose for Jonah. And this has great resemblance in the Joseph story, isn't it? Joseph's brothers meant evil for Joseph. And they did all sorts of things to him. And, you know, Joseph says this, that you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And we see God actually fulfilling the plan for Joseph in spite of his brothers trying to, you know, uh, misuse or kind of negate God's plan. And this is the same here. The sailors were instruments who threw uh, Jonah overboard, but it was God who was actually in charge and sovereign over Jonah's situation even there. And prayer for the Christian as we pray today, uh, we believe, just like Jonah believed, that God is sovereign, irrespective of the situation that we are in. In fact, he hears and responds to our prayers. In that crisis, Jonah experienced the omnipresence of God. That is, God is present everywhere, and at the same time, you and me in this room shouldn't feel guilty that God is sovereign, that we are not. Because we are not called to be sovereign, but God is called to be sovereign. And he is sovereign uh, over our life. There was a friend, there's a friend of mine who at work this, this uh, week, uh, he is not a Christian. However, I have been able to uh, help him to a charismatic church that he goes to. And he's been attending that church, uh, although he's not born again yet. But this week, uh, he's... He's paralyzed in one hand and he happened to have a fall while he was sitting on a chair. And he came up to me and said, Lyndon, I think that God is watching over me. Because uh, I could have had a worse fall and I could have hurt myself severely. And I said, praise God, he is revealing to you that he is watching over your life. While God's omnipotence asserts that there are no limits on his ability to act, God's sovereignty asserts that there are no limits on his authority to act. There are no limits on the ability of God. There are no limits on the authority of God. Jennifer Wilkin, in her beautiful book, In His Image, one of my favorite books that I read last year. But friends, even though we know that in theory, sometimes we don't really pray like that or don't really behave like that. I think uh, a lot of our prayers are very, very uh, me-centered and if you can see, prayer, we, when we come to pray, we pray to the one in authority. And if you can see, there are two words written over here, God's sovereignty, and you can see prayer written down here. But our current prayers are not like that. And then, because they tend to exclude God's sovereignty altogether. They tend to believe that I need to take hold of the situation. And we, don't, we as humans don't like to be in helpless situations. So we like everything under our control. And therefore, because of the prayers that we think and our mindset and our beliefs, I'm actually going to cut this. Because our prayers exclude the sovereignty of God. They actually don't come in a way believing that God is sovereign over our situation at all. And there is a great temptation, not just with us, but for man to actually exclude completely the sovereignty of God. And we believe both that God is sovereign and man is responsible. And we need to guard against this mistake. Because it is very easy where there is mystery for us to say, no, 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 that cannot happen. But where God is sovereign, there is a mystery attached. And let us not try to solve the mystery that is attached to God's sovereignty. 
If we are going through certain situations in our life which are mysterious, don't try to solve the mystery because God is still sovereign over our lives and that's all we need to know. That's all we need to know. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain says, we all want some corner in the universe of which we could say to God, this is our business, not yours. We all are waiting for corners and and I think that the more we are in control of our lives, we like it. The more we are less in control of our lives, we dislike it. But scripture teaches we are not in control of our lives. In fact, when we reach for control, we announce that we rather than, that we rather than an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, infinitely good God should govern the universe. And you and me are not called to govern the universe. God is governing his universe and he's doing a really, really good job at it. And therefore, when we go through difficult times and sufferings and in quandaries, let us have a big view of God. That God is sovereign over heaven and earth. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Friends, our friends who don't know God cannot say what you and me can. But we can declare this. That God ordains things for our good. That even though our situations are unusual, they are strange, they are bad, they are sordid, they are stinky. Yet, it doesn't change the fact that God is sovereign and good even in that situation. God is unchanging in his character. In fact, even scripture teaches us that there is no tension. We must pray even though God is sovereign. There is no tension between the two. In fact, God uses prayer as a means to actually bring about or foreordain his sovereign will for us. And do we know that? And I want to illustrate another thing. I know, uh, again, Lewis talks about our vision of heaven and of heaven is very very poor and anemic he says that we live lives like this on a plane two dimensional flat structure our our emotions our experiences everything is like living on earth which is one flat plane and we can't see anything over and above this but when it comes to god who actually is the maker of heaven and earth He is the one who doesn't even just see in two-dimensional, but he actually sees a realm in three-dimensional. So this is now a better understanding of a three-dimensional structure. I think it is. God actually sees from his heavenly realm, and God actually sees the earthly realm as well. And we can't see this because we don't have a vision like God. But we can as we grow closer and closer to Jesus, we can see like, like God does, not fully though, but God understands and sees from the heavenly realm and he understands our lives completely. He's in charge of our lives and we have a God who, who has a completely different vision of our lives than we do. He doesn't see 2D like how we see, but he sees three-dimensional. And we all know this. That sometimes when we are going through difficult situations, we think that God does not mean it for my good. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in this situation. Tell me, did God actually mean good for Joseph? And why did God actually take him through that situation as his brothers? Or even Jonah. God meant good for Jonah, but why the fish? God will mostly not answer our whys. He will always tell us, I know what I am doing. I mean it for your good. And that's all for us to know. And Let's guard against excluding God's goodness. God's vision for us is beatific, some of infinite goodness that you and me won't even be able to understand. His thoughts and his ways are much higher than our thoughts and our ways. And we know that, that man does not use his authority for uh, good. He abuses his authority, but God always uses his authority for good. And therefore, God 
is working for our good. And my final point, sing in the darkness. Before God saves Jonah, before he has an assurance that he will escape from the fish by some supernatural deliverance, Jonah begins to praise God and his psalm is actually like a poetic prayer and hence I use the word singing. He comes to acknowledge his own sufficiency and God restores the broken relationship that he has with Jonah. The deliverance on the fish is only a subsequent outcome. And this is a greatly important for us friends. If we are going through troubled times or difficult situations, sometimes rather than seeking for deliverance or rather than actually paving way for your deliverance, God is actually more concerned primarily about our relationship with him rather than the deliverance from the, the situation. Deliverance will come. But God is concerned. This is what he's actually restored. He's restored his broken relationship with Jonah while he's in the belly of the fish. And Jonah haven't, hasn't even seen the light of day yet. That's the real deliverance that Jonah had. Not from the fish, but his relationship with God hit a breakthrough. While he was in his dark grave, while he was in the shadow of death, Jonah was reconciled to God in peace. And we hear him singing marvelously. Singing in his darkness. There is no darkness, in the belly. there is no light in the belly of the fish, complete darkness. And with our lips, we can acknowledge his name. Friends, Jonah would not even have heard stories of God's deliverance prior to that, about God delivering people from the fish. All he would have heard was God splitting the sea and people walking through it. He would have heard of God providing manna and quail in the desert. He would have heard about God delivering people from the furnace and the lion's den, but never from the belly of the fish. And which brings us to this point that sometimes our situation would be something we haven't read in history that God has worked out, doesn't mean he can't. If it, has had, if it hasn't happened in history, it does not mean that God cannot rescue or deliver us. In the way that he did for Jonah, it was the first time, but God actually met with him. So we aren't to think that, will God be able to pull it off? I don't think he knows how to do this. I think God very well knows how to rescue us wherever we are. And therefore he says, oh Lord, you brought up my... Sh- Soul from Sheol, you've restored to me my life from among those who go down to the pit. His deliverance has not yet come, yet Jonah speaks and sings of it as it, it has already come. And we can sing in the darkness, friends, knowing that our deliverance is on our way. Our deliverance may be future, but we can sing in the present because deliverance is surely on the way. I know that uh, we've been praying for my dad. Uh, he's not a Christian, uh, so... Uh, he's been having had a really difficulty over this business and I think uh, we've, we've trusted as a family covered him every morning in prayer it's been almost 9 to 10 months after which we've, saw, we've seen a great breakthrough in his life in terms of his business well we are not just praying for his business we are also praying for the salvation of his soul but there are times when God takes time to just break through but we can sing even in the darkness and if you are in a downcast and disquieted believer sing of all that God has already done Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us heartily rejoice in the strength of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and show ourselves glad in him with psalms. While our trials still last, we can sing. While our thorns still goads, we can sing. While our hope still seems plunged in the depths of the ocean and there is no sensible sign of restoration, we can sing. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. We can sing in sickness and health. We can sing whether we are facing difficulties in a marriage or whether we are single waiting for a partner. We can sing in death or life. We can sing in day or night. We can sing in the morning or in the evening. We can sing whether we laugh or whether we cry. We can sing of his 
power. We can sing of his glory. We can sing of his honor all day long. We can sing of his mercy. We can sing of his judgment. We can sing of his salvation. We can sing to the Lord as long as we live. We can sing without ceasing. Psalm 31. God listens to the cries of his people as he listened to Jonah's cry. But Jonah's song was that, even though I'm down in the land where the bars have closed upon me forever, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. This is a song before he is delivered from the fish. Friends, we can pray while we are still in the darkness. Whether we are on the mountaintop or whether we are thousands of feet beneath the ocean, whether we are in the air or in the ground, God can hear our prayers from every place. In fact, it is fascinating to know that how God brought about deliverance in a very unusual and impossible way. He spoke to the fish. How many of us have actually been successful in speaking to fishes? The creation knows its creator. And God spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. And that paints the huge picture of God in control of his creation, friends. I haven't heard many stories of people actually surviving in the Mediterranean waters in the fish. But he meets Jonah in the belly of the fish like he meets the prodigal in the, in, in the pigsty. In both, God restored them. We are utterly incapable of realizing ourselves. But like Jonah, we can realize this one thing. Salvation belongs to our Lord. He takes us through these circumstances sometimes to display how much we are insufficient, but to display the sufficiency of our gospel. And Jonah, Jonah's crime offended divine justice and he was judged accordingly. By the hand of God, he was put to death and he was brought to life again. His life was forfeited, taken away. He was, his life was cancelled. And metaphorically, Jonah died in the belly of the fish, although he didn't literally lose his life. Three days and three nights. And after three days and three nights, uh, he was restored, placed back on dry land and he was a new creature raised from the dead. Similarly, friends, our crime has offended divine justice. But we can sing that there was one who was judged in our place, who was also like Jonah was in the heart of the fish. Jesus was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jonah underwent a death, burial and a resurrection, metaphorically. Jesus literally went a death, burial, underwent a death, burial and a resurrection too. And we can sing of this one, of the Savior who has rescued us. Jonah's prayer was heard in the belly of the fish. Jesus' prayer was not in the garden and on the cross because the father chose to unfold and un uh, just lay his divine plan before us and I want to end with a C.S. Lewis quote friends before I actually say Jesus is better than Jonah Jesus is a better and stronger version than Jonah I'll end with a quote saying for it is not so much or all of our time and attention that God wants in fact, not at all our time and attention that God wants. But he actually demands, demands ourselves. He demands ourselves. As we go home this week, let's pray big prayers. Because when we bring God's sovereignty into the picture, our prayers are potent. They are powerful. And let's pray big prayers because we have a big God. And the God of Jonah who rescued him for the first time ever in history from the valley of the fish can act restoring our relationship with him for the first time ever in history and maybe we will see and we can enjoy that deliverance but till that deliverance comes we can sing like Jonah sang in the darkness let's pray Lord we thank you so much that you are 
a good God to us. That we can look to the temple like Jonah looked. And Lord, that we can enjoy your dwelling place. And I pray that you would restore and repair our relationship with you. Even though we may be surrounded by other pressing needs, O Lord God. Till we see deliverance in, in our circumstances and our situations. Lord, we pray that we will sing in the darkness like Jonah sang. Because we know that deliverance is on the way, O Lord God. Help us to pray big prayers and I pray that we will have a big vision of God for our lives, O Lord God. Therefore, I pray that we will pray through scripture, Lord, which paints a big vision of God. I just pray, the Lord God, that in every situation, whether good or bad, we will continue to focus on the bigness of God and praying big prayers. We thank you and bless you. In Jesus' name, Amen. I just appreciate Lyndon. Thank you.